Welcome to the Daily Bible Podcast, a show intended to help you get more out of your everyday time in the Word. This is a ministry of Compass Bible Church in North Texas, and if you'd like to join along with our daily Bible reading program, you can do so by going to compassntx.org and clicking on the Daily Bible Reading tab. Thanks for joining in for today's episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back to uh, Tuesday. Jose, can you see? Nope. Jose, uh. (laughs) Jose, uh. Before we're done with this book, you're going to be saying Jose. I'm not, though, because we're going to finish it today. And then by next year, you're going to be just a little more amiable to Jose. Nope. Not going to happen. We'll see. Not going to happen. I, I, I prophesy. I you're, forecast. Why are you so angry? Why are you hitting your mic? Uh, because that's how urgent. Hey, calm down. You guys, <laughs> hey, Pastor Rada is standing on top of the desk right now. Pastor Rada, calm down. Get down. Oh. 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 <laughs> see? That's what happens. That's what happens here, folks. Wow. Just yeah. got, it got real. It did. It got real. Hey, Tuesday. Tuesdays are, are just, they're kind of a day. You're in California today. I am in California You're, today. You might be flying right now uh, as someone's listening to it. might be flying right now, yeah. You could be if flying in early. the air. Yep. Flying in the air. That's usually where you fly. Not flying under the ground. Nope. That's not how people do it these days. Yep. Nope. 2023, we fly in the air. Sophisticated. Dude, can you imagine what it was like not to have an airplane and be able to fly across the country in three hours. I mean, just to think about not it. have that. Yeah. To not, okay. to what it was yeah. like before airplanes. I right. mean, this is a relatively new invention. Yeah. I, I think people were more deliberate and slow. I mean, deliberate or, I mean, labored, I think is another way to put it. I mean, just to, how difficult it was to travel. Such, yeah. I mean, no one did that. It wasn't a thing. Well, trains, I mean, trains oh, yeah. were, okay. They did it. So, but still, to that to that point, it, it cost a lot of money. It was laborious. It took a long time. It took a lot of time away from the home. I just so I we love the uh, the series. We're making our way slowly through. We bought it, I think, last year. The Little House on the Prairie. And so we're getting a chance to see this family live in the early, I guess, eighteen hundreds on the sure. prairie. On the prairie, no yeah. less. It's amazing, uh, and I take for granted so many things that they. I mean, the outhouses and things. I mean, that makes sense. Indoor plumbing's a deal. You know, we got air conditioning and heating and all these awesome technologies that I just have. woke up with. Yeah. I, I woke up, I was born and there it is. And you don't have to worry about Indian raids either. That typically doesn't happen in Salina, Texas. Probably at one point it did. You know what? It probably did though. If, if, isn't there, aren't there reservations in Oklahoma? I mean, just, yep. just North of us where yep. there's, they're dedicated. This was big Comanche territory. Comanche. Wow. You know, I found out my, my, my dad I was talking to my dad through text uh, the other day. And he actually has a certificate, I forget for which tribe, but he's got a certificate of identification with one of the, the tribes, hmm. Mexican tribes. So uh, Aztec, Apache, one of those guys, I forget which ones. But anyway, I'm Indian. There you go. And I'm Jewish, yeah. according to 23andMe. Okay. They got hacked recently. Did you see that? Oh, man, that makes me nervous. All their stuff got exposed. My DNA is out there. Yep. So now Someone everybody could be knows. making a double of me right now. Yeah. Yep. They could be. And then robbing banks and who knows what else. Yeah. Yeah. This was big Comanche territory. In fact, Parker Road in Plano is named after a... uh, Don't tell me he was named after an Indian. No. uh, Well, sort of. So... Parker, the Indian? He was an outcast. Quana Parker. So... Quana Parker? There was a a, a pioneer woman who got kidnapped by the Indian tribe. She became a wife of one of the Indian uh, tribesmen there. And their son, Quana, became one of the leading... Uh, uh, warriors in the uh, the Comanche tribe in this area. And so Parker Road is named after that family. Does she happen to know how to pronounce the road Chote? Choate? Uh, she's Choat? been gone for a while, so I, I don't Can know. Can we just ask her? Maybe ask her relatives. Chote? Chote Road? Choat? Choat. Choate? Choate. 
Yeah. So in Salina, there's this road called C-H-O-A-T-E. We've talked about this before. I still don't know how to pronounce it. Chody. Chody? Ch- I don't Ch- know. Just do it with confidence whenever you do. See, I don't. I can't do that because I'm not confident about that. It's probably like, if you want to say it like a hick, it's Cho 8. You just take a ride down there on Cho 8 and then you'll find our house. <laughs> I don't know if I could pull that off. Yeah. I mean, I am as Texan as they become from California, but I don't know if I could go that far. Yeah. I saw a reel that made me think of you today. A uh, guy was eating Texas Twinkies from Hutchins. Mm. It was like a, a. Is there a Texas Twinkie from any other place? Well, they call them like armadillo eggs. Other yeah, places see, uh, those are like those that. are imitations. Yeah, cheap imitations. But he was talking to the Hutchins guy there, and the guy was like, "Yeah, my my grandfather invented this, and wow, so we called it that." So, wow, there you go. Hey, let's uh, dive into the book of Hosea. Hosea, Hosea twelve, thirteen, and fourteen. You say tomato, I say tomato. No, because it's Hosea. The A needs its pronunciation. Okay. Okay. So, um, yeah. I mean, there's not uh, there's not a lot of new material being covered here. It's a lot of still uh, bad news for Israel and Judah in chapter twelve. Um, but uh, but there's a, an invitation. There is uh, there is even in verses four through six of chapter twelve. It's the story of Jacob wrestling with God, and there's kind of the. The implication there, hey, if, if you would be like Jacob was, if you would be like ultimately your namesake, because remember Jacob, his name was changed to Israel. Um, if you would be like that, that would be good. That would be preferable. Uh, jump down to uh, verse 11. If there's iniquity in Gilead, Gilead was across the Jordan River from uh, Israel there. But then look at there's Gilgal again. Remember, Gilgal at one point was a holy place to the Lord. It had been corrupted and defiled through idol worship and, uh, and idolatry there. So uh, chapter 12 is more of the calling out of Israel uh, for their, their sinfulness and Judah for their, their sinfulness here. So one of the things I noticed here in verse 7 is that he loves to oppress. Um, it talks about the, the way that Israel's degradation has occurred, and that reminds me a lot of Romans chapter 1. The ongoing depravity of man, the continual downgrade of their morality. I think we're, we're seeing some of that today. We're seeing a lot of that Um even in churches, I was, where you and I were talking not too long ago about some of the fall of big-name pastors and how churches today are struggling in a lot of ways. And I couldn't help but think, man, Lord, please protect us from that. That love for evil is something that Romans talks about as being something that is evident when God removes his hand. When God judges a nation, he allows them to partake in evil. And so I think it would be good for us to pray that we would not be personally responsible, certainly, but also corporately, that we would not engage in that, that our church would be a, a lampstand, as we're talking about in Revelation, that loves holiness, loves righteousness. Don't take that for granted. Pray for that. Yeah, chapter 13, then uh, you've got in verse 4, I am the Lord your God from the land of Egypt. You know no God but me, rehearsing uh, the, the, the history of the people here. But then verse 6, the problem, when they had grazed, when they became full, they were filled, their heart was lifted up, and therefore they forgot me. Uh, the, the, the superabundance of, of provision from God in taking care of his people, uh, comfort breeds complacency, breeds contempt, and, and that's exactly what happened. And that's what God was calling the people out on. You, you had your fill, and then you thought you were good, that you didn't need me anymore. And that's something that, that uh, I think is, is easy for us here. Uh, sometimes when we open up the news headlines and, and we see things going on other places in the world, we see war, we see... Uh, terrorist attacks, we see uh, communist regimes, we see these other things. It it's, it's seems so far away from us. And, and we think like, we're, we're fine. Nothing's ever going to happen to us because 
we live in suburbia and, you know, our kids go to nice schools and we drive nice cars and we live in nice houses and, and we're good. And we can forget, man, it, it's, it's simply God's grace that preserves everything about our lives. And, uh, and Israel had forgotten that as well, that, that God was her creator, that God was the one that had formed her and called her out of Egypt. And yet when she grew comfortable, she forgot him. Which is a case for the for the the goodness of lack, when we have lack, we typically don't look at that as favorable. But yet, this is probably one of the graces of God to say, "I'm not going to give you more than what you can responsibly handle." And we do this with our kids. We don't give our kids things that we know they're going to use to their own detriment and harm. We don't give our kids access to bucketfuls of candy from Halloween. Although, you know, I still have some. Actually, I still have a ton of candy. I think we have a ton of candy. <laughs> Uh, stocked away real high so the kids can't reach it. Um, although if I gave them their choice when they came home with their plunder and I said, yeah, go for it, they would have eaten themselves sick and they would have been devastated the whole week long. A good parent doesn't do that. God does the same way. He's not going to give us more than we can handle. And that often means he's going to cap what he gives us access to. That's not a bad thing. Be content. Trust that he's got good plans. It doesn't mean you can't pursue other things, but just be content that he's got your, your future in mind. Verse 14, if you read that may sound familiar to you. This is a glimpse of hope, a, a glimpse of a future hope for Israel and for Judah here. I shall ransom them from the power of Sheol, Sheol being the grave. I shall redeem them from death. And here's the part that may have sounded familiar. Oh, death, where are your plagues? Sheol, where's your sting? First Corinthians 15, the apostle Paul quotes that and says that that will be fully and finally realized on the uh, the, the the last day, um, the, the time when, when all is subjected to the Lord and, and the final enemy death is taken out of uh, out of commission and, and removed from the scene. So uh, this is a foreshadowing of that even all the way back here in the book of Hosea. Chapter 14 then is uh, the conclusion of the book. And in concluding the book, the author, uh, prophet here, he gives calls Jose. to Israel. uh to uh, to do what is is necessary and to to return to repent. This is a final plea from Hosea saying you need to listen to the message, consider it, and come back. And the promise here from God, not from the author, not from Hosea, but from God in verse four, I will heal their apostasy. Man, what an amazing promise that is! I will heal their apostasy. They've they've wandered, they've fallen away, they've they've left me. I will love them freely again, for my anger has turned from them. Verse seven, they shall blossom like the vine. There's the vine imagery again. When is all this going to take place? Uh, not at the return from exile. This is going to take place in the millennial kingdom. This is forward looking uh, to the time that is yet future from where we sit today uh, to the time when God will fulfill all of these promises when his people truly do, true Israel, that is, truly do come back in, in repentance. Amen, man. I'm going to miss Hosea. That was I like that book. I have a lot of a lot of marks on my Bible from that book. I really like this, this little section. Take words or take with you words is what he says in 14.2. Um, reminded me of the fact that God wants us to bring to him our sacrifice of praise. He doesn't just want us to come haphazardly and to say whatever comes to our mind, although there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. Jose's encouragement here is that we would uh. that we would be thoughtful about approaching a holy and majestic God. And man, I look forward to the day when all of God's people, not just Israel, but the church as well, does that with excellence. Yep. Yeah. Hey, let's go to Revelation chapter 3 and finish up the letters to the seven churches. 
Yesterday, we, uh, we picked up on four of the churches. Today, we conclude with three more of the churches. Remember, these are the same th- seven churches that were listed in chapter one. These are churches that were at key junctures, key uh, locations on trade routes. And so they were significant. The letters to them would have applied directly to them because they are historical churches. That's part of our view here. But they also would have been dispersed more broadly than just to these churches, which would have been beneficial as well. So the first one up today is the church in Sardis, which I have labeled the a hypocritical church. Uh, this one, he says there, I know your works. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. You've got a church that is either living on the coattails of a former reputation of being vi- uh, really uh, vital, vi- vibrant, vibrant. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and lively and having a lot of activity and doing good things and being a really healthy, strong church. And yet today, if you were to to go there and really spend some time there, you would find that the reputation doesn't match the reality. Well, Jesus doesn't need to spend any time there because he's the sovereign Lord, the omniscient one. He knows, and he's telling them that. And he says, what what do they need to do? They need to remember, repent, and and, and keep the things that you had had done at, at the beginning. Um, and he, he warns them, he says, if, if not, look, I'm going to come like a thief in the night. You're not going to know at what hour I come. And, and similar to the, the first letter, the letter of the church in Ephesus, I think that's implying he'll put an end to this church if they don't return to that vitality. That's the word that I was looking for, mm-hmm. uh, that vitality that they once had. And so riding the coattails of a former reputation is something that a church has to guard against. And that's true for us, y'all. We cannot grow complacent. We've, we were talking about that as a staff the other day, thinking, man, we things are going well, but we can't become nose blind to things that we need to address in the church. Um, we always want to be getting better, doing things better, doing things with excellence because that's what we're after as a church is to do things with excellence because we serve and worship an excellent God. So we can't grow complacent and ride on the coattails of last week or last month or last year or whatever it may be. We have to keep striving forward. Amen. Church of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. This one I, I labeled small, but mighty. Small but mighty. And the reason therein is he said, I know that you have little power and yet you've kept my word and not denied my name. Implied there is is this church does not have a, a huge voice with the culture that's surrounding it. Um, they are in a situation where there, there are... Uh, uh, appears to be Jews that are oppressing them, the synagogue of Satan there, uh, those that say they are Jews and are not, but lie. So there, there's persecution that this church is, is facing there and he's commending their faithfulness. And then he says this, he says, uh, because you've kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial. Pastor Rod, what are your thoughts on the hour of trial that he mentions there? So I tend to think that there's a couple ways to approach it. My, my easy no complicated approach is that there's some kind of temptation that's going to come across across this church that will tempt them to 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 withdraw from their association with Christ. So whether that's a tribulation of sorts or whether it's just a, a specific season for them, I, I'm going to say I think it's localized. It's not the global tribulation, the global tumult that's expected. What do we do then when he says the hour of trial that is coming? On the whole world. So I would see that. So there are times when scripture uses the terminology for world and doesn't necessarily mean the, the global world. It could be the world as they know it, the world as they see it. Um, uh, kind of, it's this the, the terminology of uh, what's it called natural phenomena. Like when you say, "Oh, the sun rose," the sun really didn't rise. It's just our perception of what happens. And so I think it's a perceptive. It's a matter of perception when they say the whole world. But I, I you know, again, I hold that loosely. And there's a lot about the Book of Revelation that I'm willing to say I could be wrong on this. Mm. And this is one of those areas where I feel that particular sentiment. How about you? Yeah, this is a, a verse that has been used to defend a pre-tribulation rapture. 
Uh, Pre-trib rapture is the view that says that the church will not be present during the seven years of tribulation, uh, that the, the rapture of the church will take place beforehand, and then that will that will kind of kick off, so to speak, the seven years of tribulation. This is a verse that's used for that when we understand and interpret the passage to say that the hour of trial that's coming on the whole world uh, to imply and mean the tribulation. And so Jesus is writing to this church, but not just to this church, but by extension to all churches, saying, I'm going to keep you from the tribulation. And the argument therein is, in, in yeah, there are different views. To Pastor Rod's point, there's different views, and I don't know that we can be overly dogmatic on a passage like this. But the argument on that side says, you know, the the only time that there will be an hour of trial that is going to come upon the entire world is going to be that tribulation period. There are hours of trial going on right now in our in our world. You look at what's going on in Ukraine, that trial, that hour of trial, you're not really enduring that hour of trial. You look at what's going on in Israel with Hamas, that hour of trial, you may empathize with them, but you're not really going through that hour of trial. This is going to be something that everyone in the entire world is going to endure. And so in light of that, people would suggest that this is applying to the tribulation. That's if that's how we're going to understand the the whole world. But to Pastor Rod's point, sometimes that's taken figuratively. Either way, this church is commended and, and Jesus promises he's going to keep them. Um, and that's going to be a, a huge encouragement to them as they're suffering persecution and still holding fast. Finally, we get the, the vomit church, the church in Laodicea. This is every junior high boy's favorite church and mine too. Um, so you may have heard this passage preached and the pastor may have said, hey, you know what? He wants them either to be cold or hot. So he wishes that they either hated God or that they just loved God with a hot passion. And because they're just lukewarm and, and they're either or, he's going to spit them out of his mouth. That doesn't make any sense. If you Have you ever, why would God wish or desire that a group of professing believers would be cold in the sense of spiritually cold and spiritually dead? Where else in any place in scripture have you ever come across the fact that God would say to a group of professing believers, yeah, I don't want you, I, I want you to be cold. I wish that you were cold when we understand the context of what's going on here, Laodicea had two sources of water. They had nearby, there were very cold sources of water, which would have been very refreshing. And it would have been a, a good thing. Think about getting a cold drink of water during a hot summer day. Mm. And then from the hose, from the hose. Right. And then there, there were other sources of water in another town that were hot and they were meant to be uh, healing and even medicinal at times that people would go there to, to soak in the hot waters and, mm, and the hot springs. would have a, yeah, like mm. hot springs a refreshing, a rejuvenating, a healing element there. The problem with Laodicea, they were in the middle of both places. Gross. So by the time the cold water, which was refreshing, got to the city, it was lukewarm. By the time the hot water, which was healing, got to the city, it was lukewarm. Tepid waters. And so that that's the context that this church found itself in. That's why Jesus says to them, I wish that you were either cold. I wish that you were refreshing. I wish that you were healing. I wish that you were a, 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 a church with vitality. Or, you know what, I I wish that you were hot. I wish that you were restorative. I wish that you were encouraging, building up other people. Instead, you're just just there and you're not doing anything and you've grown complacent and you're you're so wrapped up in your comfort that I've got no use for you, so I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Yeah, we don't want to be that kind of church. So what you're saying is hot, good, cold, good. Good. Lukewarm, bad. Bad. Okay. Uh, I want to ask you a question about verse 14. He says... Jesus, assumingly here, says to the angel of the church in Laodicea, and we remember the word angel, angelos, means messenger. It can be a reference to an actual angel or someone who's actually a messenger. In this case, we think it's a messenger, the pastor. He says the words of the Amen, capitalize A there, which we think also means a reference to Jesus. He calls himself the faithful and true witness. 
And then he says he's the beginning of God's creation. What is Jesus the first of God's creation? Jehovah's Witnesses would say, yes, he is, because he's actually the Archangel Michael. Can you help shed some light on Jesus being the beginning of God's creation? Yeah, the the word there, the beginning of God's creation, it's similar to when uh, Paul in Colossians calls him the firstborn of all creation. Yeah, what's up with that too? Yeah, so uh, firstborn would be not chronologically, but in rank. And so uh, the firstborn or the, the, the first amongst the those created would have been considered or would have held a, a, a rank of honor and a rank of prestige. Um, and so think about the, the Old Testament. Think about the, uh, the story of, of Jacob and Esau and the, the, the blessing. Jacob was the younger brother. Esau was due a double portion. Well, Jacob got Esau's blessing from him through deceiving him, right? Mm. And it's so that the firstborn had a double portion of honor. So Jesus is the firstborn in rank, not in chronology, because Jesus, the rest of scripture teaches us, did not have a beginning. The word for beginning here is actually the word arche, which can also mean ruler. So it's either translated sometimes as beginning or ruler. And in this sense, I think the, the concept is he is the ruler. He is the the one of, of first rank, similar to what Paul is talking about in Colossians when he calls him the firstborn. So this is not beginning as though Jesus had a beginning. We say, how do you know that? Well, other passages in scripture that teach exactly the opposite. John's recording this. Go back to John 1. Jesus there is the one that is there in the beginning, but who was before the beginning because he is with God and was with God and and is God. And so there you have uh, John, the same one writing the, the book of Revelation, who is pointing to the eternality of Christ there. So we have to allow scripture to interpret scripture and where it, it runs afoul of other passages in scripture, it probably means that we've got the interpretation wrong with the passage that we're looking at. It's very helpful. And I think that the, that word in the Greek being arche is, is one that you're going to want to put in your pocket and remember because that word does come up frequently. And, and that explanation is so helpful because knowing even just a little bit of the original language of the scriptures can really add some clarity to Sections like this, like the beginning, that's probably not the best word. And that's not to say that the ESV is wrong here, wrong there. We're just making a note here. Every translation is going to be weak in different areas. And sometimes, even when we're trying really hard to convey exactly what's in the text, the human language can falter. And yep. this is one of those areas where I think the beginning is probably not the best word. The, the first, the firstborn even, of all creation could have been helpful. But that's not what the word is. The word is arche. It can be legitimately translated beginning, but first might be better. Yeah. Yeah. Have you seen the meme floating around that says, man, if Jesus were to show up in America today, we'd be getting a letter. Jesus or Paul? Oh, oh I see. Yeah. yeah. The revelation to it. Yeah. With the church. Yeah. I've seen Paul. Uh, I've Paul, seen Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen it. Yeah. We, pursue, <laughs> we we deserve a letter. Let me just tell you. Yeah. And I don't think it's going to be a commending letter. No. No. And we say that tongue in cheek, kind of laughing, but at the same time, it, it is sobering to think, man, if Jesus did show up and walk amongst our lampstands, which here's the thing, man, he is y'all. He is like, he's not here writing us a letter, but it, let's not pretend that Jesus is somehow unaware of what's going on with right. the church here. Right. Right. So, um, yeah, good to remember that. Well, on, on the quick then let's, let's quickly, uh, maybe in 60 seconds, Pastor PJ, what, what would you identify as being some of the biggest issues in today's church? And I'm not just talking about our local body of believers, although certainly we're included in that, but in the, in the larger church in America, what are some of the biggest issues? Comfort and complacency. I mean, that the, it, really a lot of what he's dealing with here in Laodicea. I think it's been so easy to be a Christian in the United States for so long that uh, we have, have lost our sense of urgency. I think we've lost our sense of, of desperation for God. I think we've lost our sense of the fact that we need God. And I think 
we have grown far too comfortable just playing the cultural Christianity game, which it's interesting to watch as things tighten a little bit. And, and let me stress little compared to what they're doing in other parts of the country. But as things begin to tighten, it's going to be interesting to see uh, how how the church stands, how the church remains. And I think it, it may be a, a purging uh, process as it becomes harder to hold fast to some of the same doctrines that we've held on to for so long. If God does that, I think it'll be a grace if he afflicts us that way, because I think it will really help to to uh, trim the fat, so to speak, from the church. But those that would be my my main observations. What a good thing, too, because that's kind of like what we read in uh, the book of Hosea, where he says uh, that the more they more they were abundant, the more they became idolatrous. Risk, um, abundance is risky. And right. even that's, that's true for the church. We've, we've been so successful for these so many years, and now it seems like we've gotten lazy and complacent, like you said. Right. Good word. Yep. Hey, tomorrow morning, Wednesday, be here or be square. Or a circle, rectangular. Bye. Any shape. <laughs> hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. We hope and pray this has been a blessing to you and your time in the Word. If it has, if you would subscribe to this podcast, leave a like, leave a comment, and share it with some friends and family, that would be awesome. If you need more information about Compass Bible Church here in North Texas, you can go to compassntx.org. Again, that's compassntx.org, and we'll be back with you tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Thank you.